1: Looking for strategies to help you protect your portfolio in these uncertain times? Visit RobBlack.com. RobBlack.com. Powered by E.P. Wealth.
2: Hollywood strike is considering or starting to look like it's going to cost the U.S. economy about $5 billion plus. Elsewhere, Mark Binioff is saying he may have to stop the dream force His big headline conference in San Francisco due to rampant homelessness and drug use. He's donating $1 million to try to help. Those are our business headlines of the day. Now, let's get into what happened yesterday. Market had a big rally. Nasdaq was up 1.74% buying on the dip. I don't even think we had a whoosh. I don't even think we had a negative August. It felt very controlled. No turbulent drop, no whoosh down, no panic days. But the Nasdaq was up one point seven four percent yesterday. The SP five hundred up one point four percent. The Dow Jones Industrial Average up eighty five basis points. Nvidia hit a record. They made a relationship with Google to be integrated into their cloud. Interesting. Google came out and said, "You know that chatbot GPT integration that Microsoft is doing." We're going to do something similar, and it's to be about $30 a month. Now, Google saying Apple, uh, Microsoft copied their price because they were testing it before. Uh, I don't know. Who cares, right? Any hair, any hair. Let's move on. Biden administration took its biggest step yet to lower drug costs for Americans, dropping the highly anticipated list of 10 prescription drugs that will f- be first subject to negotiations with Medicare. The Medicare program in the United States provides 65 million Americans. It's not been able to negotiate drug prices directly with pharmaceutical manufacturers, but that changed last year when the Democrats included the measure in their Inflation Reduction Act. People like paying less for drugs. I think nearly 90% of Democrats and 77% of Republicans are in favor of the policy. The overwhelming support is probably due to the fact that in 2019, the U.S. spent about double on prescription drugs compared with peer countries. Pharma is fighting back. I think it's a pretty interesting story. J&J Merck. Bristol, they've already sued the government over its Medicare negotiation. I don't know if I have a final answer on this one for you. Final answer. Um, But Americans should like that. (laughs) That should be very nonpartisan. Hey, grandma needs her medications. I get it. Um, After my mom turned 60, she was on four, five, six, seven, eight medications Really consistently. 800-516-1220 to each calls on the air. Anything that you want to talk about, we can talk about. Plenty need to talk about, right? Yesterday was a big day for um, NVIDIA and Google. Both of them doing quite nicely. AI kind of had that buy the dip feeling. Apple sent out its saved the date for its iPhone 15 release event, September 12th. Toyota is going to restart production of its factories in Japan today after a system malfunction caused all of them to shut down. There's nothing really, really shocking as far as headline news goes today. But I'll do my best to put together some stuff for you. The Apple iPhone 15 looks like a bargain. Um, Don't you love it when people say that? I don't know about you, but it doesn't look like a bargain. Media reports put the cost of the iPhone 15 base model at $799, the same price as the iPhone 14 model launched last year. But that's the number four selling phone. That's number three last year's Prime model, not the Pro or the Pro Max. Barron's calculated the cost of the original iPhone 15 in today's dollars using the Bureau of Labor Statistics. In 2007, the $499 phone would have an equivalent value of purchasing roughly $730. But the new iPhone has a lot more bells and whistles than the original iPhone did. I don't like these kind of comparisons. Um, Let's talk about Dan Ives. He's been more right than wrong in the last 15 years when talking about the iPhone. When they send out a postcard saying, hey, save the date for September 12th, we start talking about what's going to be in the new phone. It's pretty well leaked at this point in time or speculated to near perfection. Minimal updates. Apple has been able to significantly cut the cost of iPhone production by manufacturing more of its own chips. A new iPhone with a more advanced camera, additional storage, faster speed, essentially the same price point as the original iPhone could spur a renaissance of growth for Apple over the next 12 to 18 months. Dan Ives previously said the iPhone 15 could benefit from people choosing to upgrade their old models, which it does seem to happen. It feels like the phone at two years, it's good, but at three, it feels really, really old. Ives reached Apple shares with an outperforming $230 price, starting to 25% upside. He has one of the highest price targets on Wall Street. The average target amongst analysts, $201.78. In a cute note, though, Dan, I have said food, water, and their phones are the average person's biggest priorities. And I I think he could pay for food in an investment. Mm -hmm. I think he can buy water investments for the long term and do quite well. Box, one of those internet cloud storage companies. Down 8.7% today. Ongoing economic factors have affected their customers' IT budgets. Box shares are headed lower on that news. Weak corporate spending on IT. I don't believe that. We're seeing big corporate spending on uh, AI-powered chips. That's going to lead into more software, more hardware, more storage. And that's right where Box should be playing. Oil prices rise today as Hurricane Idalia makes landfall in Florida. Isn't that kind of fun when a hurricane could affect your investments? A lot of professionals really like the energy sector right now. Best Buy is highlighting how they have less shrinkage than other companies like Target and Walmart. Shrinkage being theft from the floor, people walking out the door with it. Um, It's kind of interesting reading what they do well. They have one entrance, and they typically have a really, really big guy by that entrance. It never, ever dawned on me that they would train a big guy to basically be an asset protection employee to handle security threats such as theft. It only never occurred to me because I can be ignorant and dense, too. I've been in Best Buy's. And I'm like, usually, that's a pretty big guy at the front door. He looks like he could be a bouncer on a Friday night at a club. One. Never dawned on me that you put two and two together. i just like, okay, he's the security guy. I get it. But especially trained to be at the front door for that one reason. Best Buy also locks away a lot of their merchandise. They're also doing a thing where if you use your phone and scan while you're in the store, that you can go and pick it up at the cash register when it's time to pay. they've That's pretty innovative things to get you just to purchase, including why don't you shop online, and then pick it up, and we'll bring it out to your parking space. One of the things they like about that is fewer people in the store. Fewer people to keep eyeballs on with security. Again, I did not think that way. You can find me online at Rob Black Show, Twitter Rob Black Show, YouTube Rob Black Show, I'm Rob Black.
1: You are listening to the Rob Black Show podcast. For more information on EP Wealth, visit RobBlack.com. That's RobBlack.com.
2: So I've been doing this professionally for 20 to 25 years, probably like 23. That's why I say 20 to 25. I enjoy talking financial media with you, giving you hints, tips, and tricks to succeed. I won't be doing this forever. Um, As I age, more and more people around me are like, go enjoy life. You've got a lot of money. Enjoy it. And there's an absolute truth to that. I watched CFP Chad Burton's presentation this week uh, or last week is the right way to say that on Thursday on the seven readiness readiness retirement tests or seven retirement readiness tests. And one of them is. Do things now, because when you're 70 or 80, you're not going to want to do them. Totally agree with that. The fifties and sixties are probably my biggest splurge years. The seventies and eighties, I'm gonna be slowing down. And then Bob Barker, ninety-nine years old, dies in a chair watching two and a half men. Oh, he still had a sense of humor on his way out. <clears throat> well, it doesn't cost a lot of money to be sitting in a chair watching nine and a half, two and a half men. I think we all have a family member who, as they age, they aged in front of a TV my mother did. For sure. So I saw a story yesterday. Credit card debt, is, and I want to, this. I like to tie a lot of things together. Credit card debt is at an all-time high. Okay, troubling, right? Wrong. Adjusted for inflation, U.S. households carried significantly more credit card debt from 2006 to 2009, as well as in 2019, before the pandemic. In fact, U.S. credit card debt is 18%, or $1 billion below its inflation-adjusted uh, peak. Now, again, not great news, but putting it that way certainly makes a little bit more sense. I saw yesterday that there was a big story LA L.A.'s thinking about stopping, forcing merchants to continue to take cash. And I was like, that's very interesting. I haven't really thought about it. Don't want to think too much about it. But... The whole idea of forcing merchants to take cash, you get into the, well, there's some people that don't have credit cards or don't have debit cards. And the merchant goes, well, we like only taking credit cards because then we can't get robbed as easily. Wow. There's a lot going on in these statements, right? Mastercard visa. Okay, so merchants are saying they get robbed less they were saying we want to go to credit card only la saying like no 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 you have to continue taking cash because there's some people the elderly and um, lower income communities that that don't necessarily have access to credit cards visa mastercard prepare to raise credit card fees this is my next story do you see where this is going Visa and MasterCard are planning to increase fees that merchants pay when they accept customers' credit cards. The fees include increases that will start in October and April. The changes could result in merchants paying an additional $502 million annually. Keep in mind that Visa and MasterCard win when merchants raise the price of steak, when they raise the price of milk and eggs, when they raise the price of vacations. That credit swipe is, is tied towards a percent. There's volume and there's percentages. Increasing the network fees will make up a little more than half of the revenue. The change could result in merchants paying at $502 million extra. Dollars. There'll also be some more interchange fees, which are called swipe fees. Merchants pay these fees when shoppers pay via credit card. Merchants paid an estimated $93 billion in Visa and MasterCard credit fees last year. I was up thirty three billion um since two thousand twelve. Thirty-three billion to ninety three billion in ten years. I own shares of Visa. Um throwing that down there for you. There's always gonna be a bias in my stories. But do you see how I tied all those three stories together? Especially with LA saying, you know, we we need to make sure that elderly and lower income individuals have access to stores. And then there's, then there's the uh, total damnation game where I have three major credit cards. I've got four to five credit cards, um, three that are my almost everyday use that cover either restaurants or gas stations or grocery stores, hotels, tickets, um, everyday purchases like dog food. All three of those cards get between two and four percent off for me on the swipes. You know who ends up paying that? The person with the debit card of cash. Because merchants aren't like, yeah, we're gonna give a discount. We're gonna give these these you know rewards. Yeah, right. That's kind of kind of a jerk at having uh, point cards, right? I feel it a little bit. I feel it a little bit. In today's most shocking story that I can find you, dating apps match Bumble and Grinder are planning to add a $500 a month fee uh, plan. Subscriptions have proven one way to persuade more people to try a paid tier. Match has seen significant demand for its new weekly subscription of UK-based Generation Z. Women switching to a paid Tinder plan jumped 73%. Women. It's always been known that women uh, rule the world. But you never thought of them as the ones paying for the hookup or dating sites. Men will find a woman, it seems. But then again, I'm wrong. Because 73% of Generation Z women are paying for a tender plan. Boost and Hinge was similar. Match says they see significant demand. The weekly subscriber income is less stable. Users may decide it, to try it for a week or two, then cancel. A lot of companies are now planning on trying more expensive premium tiers, five hundred dollars a month. Match is exploring a five hundred dollar a month version. Is dating, love, and money are they not intertwined? Bumble, which already has a weekly offering, will start testing a premium tier later this year along with a cheaper option specifically aimed at Generation Z. Grindr said it has a new weekly option. It's driving monetization, and it's looking at cheaper options with a pre, uh, via a premium tier as well. Whitney Wolf, she was with Tinder, and boy, that went bad. A lot of sexual harassment between the executives. Company puts themselves up for sale. They sell to match one of the female executives left and started bumble. And her quote, and I've I really liked her as a CEO, Whitney, right? Uh, Whitney Wolf, she said that they feel that the relative value of 40 or $50 a month for their special someone feels exceptionally low. I, I during um, covid, Whitney Wolf did some really cool things on like, let's do video dating. Let's do zoom dating. And um, they changed the company and it, it worked. Very uh, savvy business person. You can find me online at Rob Black Show, Twitter Rob Black Show, YouTube roblox Show. Trying to understand business plans. Did you get my point on Visa and MasterCard? As long as we are an economy, a world economy, I see them doing quite well. I do not see a disruption of Bitcoin or other digital currencies. You can find me online at Rob Black Show, Twitter Rob Black Show, YouTube Rob Black Show.
1: Visit the Rob Black Show online at robblackshow.com. Listen to archived podcasts, market updates, and information from EP Wealth Certified Financial Planners. Online at robblackshow.com.
2: Pepsi turned 125 years old. Interesting, right? You can invest in Pepsi. When you invest in Pepsi, you're investing in Doritos and many other things. When you invest in Doritos and Pepsi, you're investing in grocery stores and how there are so many suppliers, not that many, that can fit into a grocery store. So our food supply is controlled by basically eight global companies um, publicly traded. Very interesting when you start thinking about what sort of food we're eating and the costs and how they play the inflation game. But I digress. We have Patrick O'Hare from briefing.com. Briefing.com, a reliable source of domestic and international news. I find myself every day when the market closes, going through all their breaking news, which is called in play. But I start my day with you, sir, and your page one column. How are you today, Mr. O'Hare?
3: Hi, Rob. I'm doing well, thank you. Good to be back with you.
2: Yeah, we're getting into the schools back in session and getting into the groove again, it feels like, as we march towards the through the last third of the year towards Christmas, um, back half of this year, what are you expecting with the big stories, inflation, interest rates, stock market performance?
3: Yeah, and then you can layer into that as we move into September, the potential for a UAW strike, yeah. potential for a government shutdown, right, yeah. <laughs> in the end of mm-hmm. September possibly. Um, so a little bit of uncertainty there, obviously, and mm-hmm. of course this market is – laser focused on what the fed is going to do or or perhaps not do uh, with its monetary policy Um, you know that's been a kind of a a principal driver uh, this year uh, as we've kind of bounced back and forth between the hard landing soft landing no landing uh, outcomes and uh, we can see certainly in you know this week anyway uh, that the arrival of some weaker than expected data um, and the drop in market rates has been supportive of that notion that the Fed is likely going to be compelled to stay on hold, certainly in September and possibly through the end of the year. Uh, But we do have some key economic data coming uh, tomorrow in the PCE price index and certainly on Friday in the employment situation report and the ISM manufacturing PMI for August.
2: I guess I was getting a little distracted this week and thinking about the end of the year, but you're saying this week still has a lot of big data, um, particularly that Friday jobs report. Is good news, bad news. Uh, Good news for the stock market, bad news for the jobs market. If we start seeing unemployment creep higher, or do you think that'll lead people to start saying, "Oh, well, recession's coming," and that's bad news for the stock market? How do you think the 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 play is going to be good news, bad news, in the short term?
3: Well, yeah, I think I would um, label it where less good news is good news for the for the market more so than just. Straight up bad news um, one of the things that's been also supporting this equity market is uh, improved earnings expectations uh, yes. seen upward revisions to both forward twelve month earnings estimates as well as uh, two thousand and twenty four earnings estimates um, and uh, you know and that's that's definitely key. so if you start you know getting you know bad economic data that forces the market to rethink the earnings outlook in a more negative manner. Uh, then you run into some more turbulence here. Uh, but if you get less good news, so to speak, and that's kind of how I characterized the okay. data we got this morning with ADP, um, it wasn't a bad report. You had an estimate of 177,000 jobs added to private sector payrolls. Um, that was just down from 371,000 in July. So uh, so it might look bad, but it's actually still good. You're still growing. Um, And then GDP, of course, just downgraded mildly to 2.1% from 2.4%. So we're still, you know, at a fairly decent growth rate, certainly in light of what we've seen with all the rate hikes. Um, But if you get, uh, you know, the less good data, I think it kind of helps substantiate this soft landing outcome for the market that it seems to have warmly embraced. Uh, And it's embraced it with the thinking that uh, the Fed uh, we'll be more confident in thinking that it's um, tightening has has been working and that it doesn't need to go further because we then run into the, you know, not run into, but then we start seeing the lag effect of the prior rate hikes, you know, work their way into the economy and more and, uh, and lead to that slower growth that the Fed is wanting to see and which it, you know, hopes will certainly lead to continued disinflation and a move back to the 2% inflation target.
2: Interesting stuff. Um, Tech looks like yesterday, and I don't like doing the day by day, but sometimes I get caught up in it. It looked like yesterday was kind of that buy the dip mentality where not you, but market analysts and market commentary has been setting me up that August and September are going to be slow. Not a lot of information. We've had a big year up until August. Maybe expect a 10% correction. Then we can get back to the earnings that you just talked about and a potential rally for the market. Talking about inflation coming down and interest rates maybe going down in 2024, 2025. Um, do, you, do you believe there's a buy the dip mentality that's still out there and there's no other alternative? It, it suddenly came back yesterday like, ooh, that was a fast little correction.
3: Yeah. Um, well, I don't. I don't think it's. Um, you know, the buy the dip mentality is still alive and well. Um yeah. And, but there are alternatives out there. Right? Yeah, there are. We've discussed that before. You know, when you have, you know, treasury yields at the short end of the curve uh, north of five percent. Um, you know, um, that's attractive, right? Uh, you have money market funds that are yielding north of five percent, right? CD rates, right? Some of them are, you know, the safer less risky type investments there are alternatives out there where there hadn't been uh, you know leading into you know the, the, the fed beginning this tightening cycle in March of 2022 um, you know savers were at a real disadvantage because there were there was no yield to be had without really taking on an inordinate amount of risk to get it um, so uh, but but we, we are seeing as you allude to like certainly in the past three sessions there's been this willingness to come in and buy the weakness in uh, in the mega cap stocks and most growth stocks. And that's been helped along by the fact that you've seen interest rates come down over the same time. Um, and that's been an important factor here. Now, would caution listeners that the volume associated with these moves has been remarkably light. Um, Tuesday's trading was the lowest full-day volume <laughs> of the year. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, that could... You know, can go either way, you know, but as I also said on a page one column, a gain is a gain is a gain, right? If you're looking to sell at higher prices, well, you've got that opportunity. It doesn't matter what the volume was, you know, the market went up. Um, But it it does point to a lack of uh, true conviction in in our estimation. And we have to be mindful of that as we move into September, October, that period when you're going to have trading desks fully staffed again, uh, and the market to back to business as usual, uh so to speak, which we haven't really seen here um you know August in our estimation kind of ran in in a way that you know we should have seen you had a big run leading up to it, we saw some typical consolidation activity, but because there wasn't any meaningful change in the fundamental news flow uh in a negative way, that willingness to buy the dip in stocks uh you know continued, and uh you know if you're looking for You know, an inflation beating return, um, you know, it's nice maybe to get 5% on a treasury yield, but it's better to get 17% on the S&P 500 right now. So, uh, so there are other alternatives out there, but the stock market is certainly still an alternative for investors.
2: I always like asking you the final question when we have time, anything that you're working on that you want us to know, that's my way of cheating and saying you're a smart guy Tell us what we should be thinking or tell us what we should be seeing or looking at or experiencing.
3: Well, I think, you know, one of the things I'm considering, and we touched on it a little bit, just I didn't know where we were going to go there necessarily, but, you know, this idea of, um, uh, of, of, you know, maybe what we should be cheering for or not cheering for, but looking for now and hoping for uh, is less good news um, because you want the market to settle down with this idea that, That market rates have peaked, that the Fed funds rate has peaked, uh, and that the economy, while you know maybe growth has peaked, uh, isn't going to fall off a cliff here. And and you get that you know that long-awaited ballyhooed soft landing uh, come to fruition. Um, So could be looking at things uh, a little bit from that angle. Uh, I say that though uh, respectfully knowing that we have yet to see the uh, personal income and spending report for for July, which is out tomorrow, and then also that employment report um, on Friday. So it might get a little bit more specific, granular in terms of the big picture column this week if there's something in those particular reports that uh, lends itself to a, a big picture idea.
2: The personal spending that you're talking about, and we have about a minute. Um, that's hard data. That's real numbers, whereas the consumer confidence that we got yesterday, that's kind of like what do you think's going on, and do, what do you think about current expectations? What do you think about future expectations? Um, hard data versus soft data. Do you have any thoughts about do you prefer one versus the other?
3: Yeah, and I think that's a great thing that you're highlighting there, Rob, um because it is a, a big thing, you know. Consumers might say one thing, but they do something entirely different, which is what you see in the hard data. Um, and, and you have to put more of a premium on that hard data because that's that's a reflection of what's actually happening versus what someone is feeling and, and thinking they might do. Um, you know, the personal spending data is, is going to tell you exactly what they did. And in our estimation, you know, that should take precedence over any soft survey data.
2: Sounds good. I'm gonna let you wrap up a little bit early so I can give you a healthy long plug. Thanks very much. It's Patrick O'Hare with briefing.com, a reliable source of domestic and international use that you can use. I've been using the product for 20 plus years. Um, I really think the whole site's awesome. Um, and again, I say that because I don't, I don't really like sports. I like finances. Um, so there's a lot there for me. Stock market updates. They have something called live headlines that are in play. Um, you can put in your portfolio. For instance, I've put in a portfolio, so it sends me an email in the morning, in the afternoon, in the evening of roughly 20 stocks that I follow that are kind of newsworthy for a show like this. I like getting the alerts sent to me, pushed to me in case I missed them that day. You can find out more at briefing.com. That's briefing.com. I'm Rob Black. Find me at robblackshow.com.
1: This interview featured on The Rob Black Show is brought to you by EP Wealth. Learn more at robblack.com.
2: So, I'm working on data for you on Instacart, the IPO that's coming. The company shelved its IPO plans back in 2022 as soaring inflation, the ongoing war in Ukraine, and the recessions on a global level kind of derailed the excitement in the industry. Online grocery is the largest category of e commerce that Amazon does not dominate which is why that if you have the technological know-how, you have an advantage at this point in time. I used Instacart during the pandemic for sure. Food delivery startup Instacart has seen robust growth due to probably a lot of pulling forward during COVID, right? Company reported 2021 revenue of $1.8 billion. What I like to do is see what's the total addressable market, I don't care that they do $1.8 million. That's 1.8 billion. It's not to me is how many billion is that market? And I don't care if they're making money or not early on. That's not the point. In my opinion, how big can the market get? Um, What are their technologies that they're using? growing slice of the market um, is attractive. But how big is the market? It's expected to be. Let's see if I have that number 30. Uh, E-Marketer believes Instacart's grocery sales will jump. Um, yes, yeah, you don't have quite all the data yet, and I don't want to give out bad data, so I'm going to pull back on this. But Instacart, what they're trying to do before they become more, how shall we say, standard, is turn grocery shopping into a better experience. And what I mean by that is Amazon has a service where you can walk into one of their stores, a Whole Foods, put your groceries in your cart, walk out, and it will automatically charge your Amazon credit card or your Amazon uh, financial account. There's something attractive about that. Do you know the number one thing that I absolutely hate about uh, grocery stores? Sometimes you get in and you see that the last two, three years have been tough on them. And that they have labor shortages and those labor shortages have basically created longer lines. I've driven an extra mile. To an extra mile or two to go to a grocery store that has higher fees. But less lines. Hate that. So, what Instacart's trying to do is make the shopping experience a little bit easier. They acquired an artificial intelligence startup company called Caper AI that shows how it could bolster its business providing shopper technology. Caper AI is developing a smart shopping cart equipped with computer vision and AI. The cart recognizes products as they're placed in the cart, charging shopping. Shoppers automatically for their purchases. So they're trying to go after potentially the same kind of opportunity that Amazon's seeing of we don't mind shopping as long as it can be quicker. On Instacart right now, there is a little tab that when you fill up your cart, you can choose Safeway, you can choose Whole Foods, you can choose um, your, your local grocer. But if you spend an extra $2, they'll send a shopper there first. Um, From talking with drivers of Instacart and talking with drivers of Lyft and Uber, a lot of drivers do both. But they tend to prefer Instacart because the guarantees are higher. Instacart slice of sales is expected to slide from twenty one point five percent to twenty percent. So they've got about a one in five percent um opportunity, a one in five chance opportunity of capturing you if you're going to be doing shopping. What's impressive about it is they can usually have the groceries to your house within an hour. Now, with all of that being said, I have no interest in this ipo it's just not my thing i can find other delivery companies like uber who had made their first billion recently um i can find other opportunities to invest in i don't need instacart who's going to go public and whose ceo Worked his butt off during the COVID, coming up with great ideas and worked his butt off getting the team, the marketing, the sales, the support, the annual events, everything that Instacart has done as a corporation. He's going to sell some shares and maybe buy a boat or buy a house. I like IPOs after they're one year old. I've made one exception to that. I bought Meta after about two to four months. Um, I don't remember. It's been a long time. It could have been two if I'm remembering the, the romance of it. It could have been four if I'm being real. Um, but when it IPO, it, it went higher, and then it went a lot lower. And then we know the story of Meta and Facebook. It went a lot higher. Um, the growing slice that they have, that 22%, um, in 2019, they had 11%, but obviously due to COVID, they got you know up to 20, 22, 25%. Online groceries, the largest category of e-commerce that Amazon doesn't currently dominate. Yesterday, I said Zillow's. Uh, so, am I going to go after the IPO? No. Is it interesting? Okay, I'll go with that. Um, but a lot of Americans, you know, they could afford a subscription service that brought them food during COVID, but One. when you're not in COVID, it's a little bit tougher to justify. Uh, except for it does save you money or time, and time is money. Zillow, you know that home loan that they're going to offer a 1% down payment option for eligible homebuyers? I talked about it yesterday. Well, I did a little bit of work. It's only available for those who live in Arizona. And that is a place where it's hot enough to fry an egg on the sidewalk. No, thank you. They said that uh, Zillow has said that they want to expand the program, 30- but it's not there yet. So, they'll help you with 1% down payment, and then they'll get you an additional 2% at closing. I'm telling you, any of the fees that can come out of real estate, I think, is a good thing. So, I think Zillow's on to something. Yeah. But, but just buying in Arizona, got to expand that one. You can find me online at Rob Black Show, Twitter Rob Black Show, YouTube Rob Black Show. I'm Rob Black.
1: For more information about EP Wealth, visit robblack.com. That's robblack.com.